All right. Uh, hello, welcome everyone to Sport Tech Daily's episode with David Harris. Uh, he's been involved in the Australian sport and sport tech industry now for over 20 years. So thanks for taking the time, David. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good, thanks. Uh, apologies if I've got streaming kids in the background somewhere. Like a, a lot of people at, at the moment, I'm uh, doing the work from home thing, but yeah, my industry, I'm a, a little bit more used to it. No worries at all. Look, that's completely fine. I think I mentioned to you, we've only launched a couple of weeks ago and, and we're sort of very much getting used to this ourselves. So look, appreciate your time, David. Great, great. Awesome. Um, and look, we, we were speaking about this just before we started recording, but um, I mentioned, you know, your background, you've transitioned from the sporting world to consulting to back to sport and then esport. You've kind of done it all in this space. It, it sounds like a really wild ride. Uh, tell us about your background. Yeah, I, I always like to take a new challenge. Um, I was originally in sports medicine, so I, got, I was lucky enough to work with a lot of sort of major sports teams um, and codes around the world. Uh, I've sort of been in Australian sport and had 11 years over in the UK. Um, in between, I was with the Sri Lanka cricket team. Um, they've had a bit of experience in Premier League football clubs, uh, football league clubs, rugby, uh, county cricket. Uh, but after about 10 years in sports medicine, I'd, I felt like I'd done everything I wanted to achieve in that space. Uh, but I saw a lot of opportunities to do things better in, in sports business world. So. I um I uh, did the MBA at Oxford and then moved across into uh yeah a number of startups um did some traditional consulting for a while with uh, Boston Consulting Group and Gemba which is a sport and entertainment consultancy and then my my last real job in inverted commas I was a general manager at National Rugby League before I uh before I went out in 2016 to start Guinevere Capital which was a, a sports investment business at the time and um since then we've, we've pivoted all in on esports which is a quite exciting space at the moment. Awesome. All right. Well, look, we'll, we'll get into esports in a second, but your roles at Gemba Group and the NRL, you know, it seems like what you're doing at the moment, that would have had a, a pretty large influence on, on your career and your skill set. Can you tell us a bit more about those roles? Yeah, I, I think every every role you take is a step on a, a journey and you take something from, from the mall to move into your in, into your into your next uh, next endeavour. Um, so, so Gemba is a sport and entertainment consultancy, um, very much data-driven. Um, it's got an insights division, uh, marketing and, and strategy um so i was sort of leading the the strategy in the sydney office um it was great because i got to work with a lot of different uh, sporting organizations bodies etc they did a lot of work with the australian sports commission at the time um so it was good to get a a broader a broader skill set i guess and experience so we worked in sort of stadium development proposals and uh, participation programs uh, there was it was a really mixed bag which was which was fantastic um, and then, yeah, well, one of my main, main projects was actually with the NRL. Um, and then quickly ended up cutting out the middleman and becoming a, a general manager there. But it was a, a really interesting time to be at the NRL. We'd, we'd just uh, uh, done a, a major sports rights deal. Um, and then it was how, how we were applying that um, funds to, to, I guess, uh, increase the sustainability of the game. And it's, it's really, really interesting now, uh, obviously, uh, <laughs> five, six, seven years later, where. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're we're in the situation, but we are now, and uh, yeah, that, that that rainy day, um, yeah, people may think it doesn't come, but it, they they generally do come around. So it's um, yeah, it, it's interesting now looking back on what we're doing then, and uh, there's obviously been lots of twists and turns along the way, but at at, at the time uh, there was a, a growth in the innovation fund, um, trying to um invest some of the broadcasts into into uh, uh projects that would uh really enhance the long term sustainability of the game. So. One of my major projects at the time was a membership program. Right. About 228,000 members to 330,000 members across the league. And we had a lot of business cases around that. And so sort of membership was that 
that really engaged fan base and those recurring revenue streams. Uh, um, I, I was very passionate about that, and um, we, we did a lot of other, a lot of, um, uh, projects. So we, we had a reality show called the, the Rookie, which was a uh, um, again trying to get away from doing the the standard thirty second ads to doing something a little bit more in the long form content and so sort of the, the reality space and uh, yeah, a lot of the digital projects there. But I was a, a general manager of marketing content for digital originally, and then. Been a bit of time in club and state services and then uh, eventually in the commercial department but i was there for for uh two and a half years which uh, in the nrl is is quite a long time but yeah, it was a it was a fantastic experience but yeah but by, by the end of that i'd i'd um a lot of my work was club facing and i'd i sort of got sick of telling clubs how they should be running their business and getting ignored so i thought it was time to put my money where my mouth was and really try and start um investing in launch and running my own uh sports organizations i guess right Excellent. Okay. And how did the how did the transition to esports come about? I saw it as almost like a competitive threat when I was at the at the NRL. But since then, um, yeah, I think everyone has an aha moment when they scratch the surface and, and see the numbers in in, in esports. Um, but yeah, we were looking to try and invest in some fairly large uh, traditional sports organisations in Australia, um, and then we just bought a, an esports team as, almost as a side project at the time. But we. We saw what was happening everywhere else in the world and didn't think Australia was going to be a, on a different tangent. And we were sort of the first group at that time to uh, come from the outside to invest in esports. And that was yeah, 2016. So um, obviously, it was a bit of a leap of faith back then. But now, three, four years down the track, it's uh, proven to be quite a shrewd move. And from that initial investment, we, we now have sort of four or five teams in Australia um, infrastructure at the Sydney Cricket Ground with the Esports High Performance Centre. And then have he replicated that model on the other side of the world over in the UK with a facility at Twickenham Rugby Stadium and investment in Excel Esports, which is a uh, which is a team in the League of Legends European Championships over there. Right. Okay. And it's funny when I um I've very recently come across uh, very recently come across esports. Like I've, I've heard the term, I've I've understood the bigger picture, but if I ever try to explain it to someone, they're just like, "Isn't that just watching video games?" Like you know, you just hear really. Sort of very rookie or amateur response to to what esports is about. So, I guess from a commercial sense, can you give us a, a really sort of high level understanding of the landscape of esports? You know, just like traditional sports would have their their players, their coaches, the the fans that come to the games. Um, how does it work in in esports land? Yeah, it's, it's hard to get your head around until you actually go to one of these events or become part of the ecosystem. It does seem crazy turning up to a stadium to watch people just watch video games. But my view is once you go to one of these events, the atmosphere is unbelievable. It's, it's right up there with any of the traditional sports events in the world I've been to and I've been to a lot. Um, right. It's just that shared experience of whether it's basketball, tiddlywinks or computer games happening in the middle when something good happens, everyone cheers. When someone messes up, everyone holds their head. There's a stands on one side, the other, it gets, it gets quite parochial. Far too reliant on, on, on big broadcast deals with... Um, yeah, yeah, either the cable TV companies or linear television with advertising and with the, all the cord cutting that's happening and all the all the advertising revenue that's, that's dropping off in those traditional spaces. Um, I think sports can have to pivot into the, the sports model where we're, we have a, a mass reach through um, through the digital channels that it's broadcast out on. But um, beneath the, those broadcast deals and distributions from the governing bodies, the, um, the, other, the other revenue streams are very similar. Sponsorship um, happens in, in both... Uh, both traditional sports and esports as merchandise. You can buy your, your caps and your hoodies or your, your jerseys just like you can in traditional sports, but also has digital merchandise within the game. So OIP can bought by players in the game 
to uh, dress up their characters or their champions in, uh, in, in our IP. Um, there's membership and subscriptions, um, and then there's prize money in game day. Um, and, and some of the prize money is huge in esports. There's, there's one famous event called the International, which I think had a prize pool of 28 million last year. So, um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's big business, although very dangerous to build a, a business model around winning and losing. <laughs> right. And um, can you tell us about your what you're doing with um, esports high performance center? There's Excel Interactive and and the the company you mentioned in Sydney, Genevieve Capital. Yeah, so Guinevere Capital is our um, uh, basically our investment brand that sits over the top. Um, there's a few different companies, but uh, so Guinevere Capital is almost the uh, we're not a VC or a PE company as such, but I guess we're the uh, investors. But we're very hands-on in our investor investments, um, and then work with portfolio companies. Um, one of which being the Esports High Performance Centre, which is a um, a facility within the Sydney Cricket Ground. Um, we've been through right. three iterations of it, but our whole model is bringing together the traditional sports world and esports world through um, performance and, and commercialisation. So it's a physical facility, but it's also a, an umbrella where our programs sit, where we try to um, integrate everything from sports psychology to uh, nutrition, et cetera, um, analytics, performance. Um, and then Excel, um, Excel Interactive was the original company. It's, it's now, yeah, Excel. Uh, Esports, which is a uh, UK team, um, so that was a, a, a sort of a lower tier team when we bought them, but we managed to go through a process and um, get them into the League of Legends European Championships, which is one of the big franchise leagues over there. Um, which is public knowledge that this is a 10 million euro buy, and so it was um, some significant uh, fundraising and a significantly larger operation than what we do in, in Australia, but. Uh, we've got some great uh, private equity partners in in the JJ group over there, and um, yeah, it's a it's a really exciting space to be in, and it's just that I guess that step up. There's so much investment going into it that the uh, the level is so much higher. Right, and, and within Australia, and look, I'm going to dumb it down a little bit because uh, I'm assuming a lot of the people that end up watching this video would would not know too much about esports. So, I guess in terms of what's sort of physically around in in the esports community in in Sydney and in Australia. Um, when you say the the company that you've got that's physically located at you know near the SCG or, or in the SCG, um, what, what what numbers are we talking about? Like how, how many people would be involved with the physical sort of physical operation? Uh, we've probably got about thirty um, people, including players, sort of involved in our operation at the moment, and right. um, so some of them are full time in the in the SCG facility. Um, a, a lot of them are players in, in some of the. Uh, some of the smaller titles or, or less well-backed titles are actually spread out all over Australia and New Zealand. In fact, we have some international players as well, which is great. I guess you've got the combination of, we have been moving to sort of physical studio and stadium events, et cetera, but with the current uh, situation, we're, we're very much winding back to the model to where we were a couple of, year, couple of years ago. Um, and so everyone can sort of participate online. So um, yeah, we, we have a similar to a traditional sports team. We, we have our performance staff, we have our coaches and our analysts. Um, We've got a marketing staff, we've got the social media, the, the videographers, etc. Um, right. and, and then we've got the sort of the commercial staff who are trying to sell sponsorships, etc. So um, yeah, the, the the makeup is is very similar and obviously we've got our, our, our player roster as well. So it's um, sure. yeah, there's a similar structure to a traditional sports organization and, and yes we have a home base in uh in Sydney Career Ground for our Australian operations and, and over in Twickenham in UK for our um our UK uh IXL. Yeah, excellent. All right. And look, obviously coronavirus, you know, it's the topic on everyone's mind at the moment. Um, you've worked in both sport, esports. 
how do you think it'll it'll impact both industries in the next sort of six to twelve months? Uh, it's going to change things a lot. Uh, it's fairly evident at the moment that it's putting a lot of stress on the um, on the traditional sports industry. Um, there's force majeure comment. Uh, clauses in a lot of the uh, the contracts um, that the uh, traditional sports teams have with um, organisations, body governing bodies have with the broadcasters, which is uh, one of the major sources of revenue, but also with the sponsors. So, um, yeah, as soon as that money dries up, then it's uh, it's putting a lot of stress on 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 the governing bodies. But it's not just traditional sports; there's many businesses out there. But sport, just like anything else, is is a business, and and it's I think it's going to be a very very tough time. Um, again, if it, if it just offer a, a few weeks, we can quite easily weather that storm, I believe. But um, my view is, yeah, we're looking at three or six months at least, um, and that means you're missing an entire season, which uh, yeah. again strips a lot a lot of revenue out. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think some sports out there probably had unsustainable model and were just living hand to mouth, and it, it shows that uh, when uh, yeah when the tough times comes, it, it's um, yeah I, I think this will be actually an opportunity potentially to. To, to reset a lot of a lot of um a lot of business models, I guess, um, out of necessity, unfortunately now. But um, yeah, I think traditional sports going to have a have a tough time. Um, esports, obviously, in the short term, it's, it's creating a lot of headaches. But I, I think it's uh it's basically back back up and running with a lot of the leagues now. So it's actually a huge opportunity as the only show in town at the moment, pretty much. So um, you look at the viewership numbers up twenty five thirty percent at the moment. Um, there's a lot of broadcasters with with gaps in the scheduling. There's a lot of uh, sponsors who have uh, yeah, paid for assets that, that are no longer there. So um, th right. this is almost a chance for esports to step into the mainstream. And to be honest, it's, its numbers have been up there for a while, but it's sort of been a an education or awareness type thing. But at the moment, with a a real gap in the market, this would be a, an opportunity for, for esports to really try and crack that, that that mainstream audience and those uh, mainstream broadcasters and brands. Right. And for people that are, you know, looking to crack into the esports market in Australia, um, just like I, I said earlier, you know, I think there's a, I think a lot of people are aware of maybe just aware of what esports is and, and aware of some of the numbers around how, you know, how crazy the numbers are in terms of viewership and, and sort of, you know, prize winnings available. But um, I think it, it sometimes doesn't hit home that, hey, you know, there's a realistic opportunity to actually work in this space. So for people that are looking to, to get into this industry, uh, either full-time or, or part-time, um, whether it's for you know, their nine-to-five jobs or from an investment or, or ownership opportunity, what, what avenues are available in Australia currently? Um, it's evolved rapidly. So we were a uh, first mover uh, probably three, four years ago, and it was much easier back now. They're now basically most teams are owned by, um, in the big leagues, are owned by a, a sport and entertainment group or, or have some, some backers. So... Um, but yeah, I think everyone thinks esports is probably bigger than it is in the short term, but underestimates how big it is in the long term. So right. uh, everyone's saying, I want to work in esports. Like, there's not a lot of salaries out there that, that pay, particularly for senior people. Um, but yeah, as with anything, whether it's just sport, traditional sports or esports, the, the key is actually to get in there and have a go and, and try and find some internships or some part-time opportunities. Um, I, I always give the advice, make sure you're good at something, whether it's sport or esports. Say I want to work in sports, I want to work in esports there's there's many roles there like are, are you a, a graphic designer a social media or a strength and conditioning coach it's actually um actually working some sort of functional skill set that, that you're uh, that you're good at and it helps to be back jack of all trades and be able to do a lot of stuff but you, you need to be uh good at something that's actually adding 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 value but yep. yeah my, my advice is yeah just there's plenty of um 
voluntary and, and opportunities out there, whether it's with sort of tournament uh, providers once this current uh, crisis starts, uh, stops and there's uh, live events are back on or um, there's plenty of teams out there. But the great thing about esports is you've always only needed just five guys that are pretty good at playing a computer game and all of a sudden you can, you can create a, a, an esports team. Um, and then back in the day, there was those rag, rag switcher stories of, sort of winning your way up through the ranks and all of a sudden being in the big leagues. But uh, I said, for the, big, the bigger um, esports franchises at the moment, or the bigger esports leagues are now coming sort of closed uh, closed environments. But there are plenty of other games out there where um, yeah, you, you, can, uh, you can get involved quite easily. Um, I think esports is like sports. There's, there's AFL, there's NRL, there's, um, there's cricket, but there's also badminton, table tennis, uh, BMX yeah. racing. There's, there's a huge, diverse range of esports out there. Some of them bigger than others, but there's, a, there's, there's always a place where you can find some, um, find some opportunities. Right. Okay. And for people, uh, I'm just going to you know, talk about Sydney and Australia specifically, but again, for people that are looking to, to learn more about the industry, build their networks, and ideally look, you know, look to start getting work in the industry, um, what are some resources that you think would be a good starting point? Like whether it's podcasts, meetups, or, or e-meetups now, any sort of forums, what would you recommend? Um, I think you can get head round the the business aspects of the of the space. There's some really good um, global publications, um, TEO, the the Sports Observer, and ESI, Esports Insider. Um, so it'd be really good to, to read them. That they've got social media and they've got sort of websites, etc. Uh, it's really interesting articles about yeah the business of sports globally to, to get your head around. I guess the, the ecosystem. Um, locally, I'm a, I'm a member of the EGAA, the Esports Games Association of Australia. Um, there's uh, one of the board members, Chris Smith, has a, a sort of a, a podcast and a social media group, um, BIG Business and Gaming. It'd be um, worth checking out there. There's a bit of a community there, and there's, there's a few other similar things uh, around. Um, there's, yeah, usually these bodies have a have a conference again, um, or, or meetups. Sometimes they're just like there's a, a few gaming bars around there. Sometimes they're as casual as just a, a few drinks and a, and a speaker. Sometimes they're they're, they're full on a and conferences obviously on hold at the moment but um i know the plans are to hold some more this year um so yeah i, I think it's just yeah, get, getting along to some of these mixer events is, is worthwhile um and there's a yeah a, a few uh a few community groups out there on on, on facebook etc um the uh I, I guess each each game sort of has its own community so um i, I just follow all the 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 ride oceana who runs league of legends the yeah the EA Sports, the Rainbow Sticks, whatever it may be, um, it, it's worth just uh, following all these things on social media and actually, um, um, yeah, just just following what's happening. And then uh, everyone in the industry is actually quite approachable. So um, right. if you see someone who's doing something cool, just yeah, feel free to reach out and, and say hi. And yeah, in in non quarantine times, have a coffee. But if not, uh, everyone's always just happy to have a bit of back and forth because uh, I think everyone's. Uh, very much a, all boats rise with the tide um, in this space, and particularly Oceana as being a sort of a, a developing region. Um, most people are fairly generous with their time to have a chat, and um, and as I say, just yeah, try and uh, help relieve a headache, whatever that may be, um, by uh, offering to help out with something and uh, get your foot in the door and use that to build your build your skill set, your understanding, your CV, and then um, when the opportunities come, you'll be a front and centre. Yeah, excellent. Okay, and I guess that's um, that brings me to something I was wondering before. You know, uh, how does the, the Australian and the Oceania environment in esports compared to some of the other, I guess, global markets, and and who are some of the market leaders in this space? Yeah, I think the gap's actually widening at the moment, which in in some ways is is a little bit sad, but the other time, in other ways, it's actually um, it just shows how far the industry is coming. So 
if you look at all these massive numbers, China is huge and as with anything else, it's, they've just got so much scale over there. So um, yeah, there's, there's a, reportedly over a hundred million people watching the world champs last year and a, a fair chunk of that would have been in within China. So um, wow. yeah, so yeah, I think China's been a bit of a powerhouse. Now Europe is, is really sort of starting to, to challenge them. Um, South Korea was sort of the, the original esports um, region. So esports have been in South Korea for over 20 years. Um, so it's, it's huge there, but I think China has almost surpassed them just because of their scale. And now um, uh, Europe and North America are both uh, really starting to get a lot of investment in the space and getting excited about it because they actually have the, I guess, the, the traditional sports investors and infrastructure and model over there. So they're now starting to enter the esports space and there's a, there's a real rivalry between uh, Europe and North America. I think North America is getting a lot more investment, but Europe is actually uh, performing significantly better in a, in a number of the main titles. So, um, yeah, it's become gen gen genuinely global. Um, and then I guess places like India and the, the Middle East haven't completely taken off, but there's sort of probably that, that next wave of regions that are going to are going to come through and, and, and be relevant. And uh, esports is also massive in, in South America, but... Um, Probably not, not as many brand dolls or, or much as much investment over there, but still a, a huge following, following and participation base. Right. Okay. And I guess the, the other thing I was going to allude to there was in terms of the the global numbers. Where do you see? Are there any opportunities for Australia in terms of you know partnering with a lot of global organisations, or or is the fact that we're so far away and our our internet speeds? This is just what I've heard. You you can correct me if I'm wrong, Keith. But is that a, a key factor? The internet speeds and our ability to to sort of stay up to speed with a lot of the other countries in the world? Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. Like Our model is we've got a lot of partnerships and work with a lot of people around the world. But um, yeah, part of it, obviously, our, our IT infrastructure isn't, isn't amazing, but it's more the isolation, the fact that, um, and it's not a technology problem, it's sort of a speed of light problem that the signals right. can't get from here to other countries and back fast enough for, a, for our pro players to be able to train and practice mm -hmm. against the best pro players around the world. So, so we quite often send our players off to boot camps or send them to Korea for uh, a few weeks or a month to, to train over there because from Australia, just because you're, you're so far removed, you can't really play against them from, from over here. So, yeah, right. I, I think like many things, the isolation for Australia, um, sometimes it can be an advantage in uh, situations like the moment. But, um, yeah, the, um, yeah it, it's tough for, tough for esports. And uh, a lot of our players uh, are now going overseas. Um, we're sort of getting that dynamic of, sort of the A-League versus the English Premier League. Um, so I think there was a mass exodus of players from League of Legends from the, the, the local league, the Ocean Pro League, last year. I think we had about nine players and coaches um, get abroad. But I, I think it's a strength, a strength that we show our player development and that we are developing world-class players. It's just the, uh, the economics mean they can make a lot more money um, overseas and the, and the standard is slightly higher over there. But at the same time, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of games that have a, a basically a world championships or sort of international events where Australia gets a spot. So if you're a solid team in Australia, it's much easier to sort of qualify and beat the local teams to get there as opposed to somewhere like Europe or South Korea where it's a, a hell of a lot more competitive. Right. Okay. Um, and I guess just to, to wind up um, from a personal point of view, what are the what are the sports or, or esports that you're most interested in and are keen to follow? I guess over the next sort of few months. Uh, so, so personally, League of Legends, uh, that was the first I invested into. And um, yeah, we've, we've previously had the Die Wolves in, in Australia and Excel over in the UK. And I, I actually play that myself. I right. don't get to too many games here because it really is time burgle you. And um, yeah, I, I tell my wife I need to understand the product, but um, I don't play a lot of other games. But uh, yeah, League of Legends, I'm, I'm very passionate about it. It's 
one of those ones a bit more strategic. Um, and right, the, the League of Legends is uh, made by Riot Games, and um, uh, Overwatch is made by Activision Blizzard, um, who also make Call of Duty. So they're sort of the, the big franchised uh, esports leagues there at the moment. Um, and then there's Valve, which is a, a game publisher that makes a lot of different games, um, and, and Counter Strike, and uh, Dota Two are probably the, their big titles uh, across the esports world. They're the Big games, and then you got. I guess you got sports simulators. Uh, EA Sports has uh, EA Sports FIFA, and um, then there's NBA 2K. So uh, at a high level, they're 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 all the big um the, the big titles at the moment. And then um big games that aren't as big as esports is Fortnite, and there's a lot at the moment that, that um Apex Legends etc. Which people are probably hear, hearing about. So um it's just like saying what sport you're in. It's sort of horses for courses. Yeah. Different people like uh are into different things but yeah personally it's the, the MOBAs the mass online battle arenas such as League of Legends that, are, that I'm passionate about rather than the, the fighting games or the first person shooters awesome all right cool well look thank you so much for your time David it was really interesting personally and, and I'm sure the followers will, will love listening to this as well great thanks for having me chat awesome cool thank you hope you enjoyed this episode if you'd like to check out more of our content go to sporttechdaily.com or follow us on social media across Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram.